Revelation 16. And we're going to cover verses 10 through 21. Last week, we examined in chapter 16 uh, the first four bold judgments. Uh, the guy, the, uh, the John in his vision sees God pouring out upon the empire of Rome. And today we're going to cover the last three, which finishes out the chapter. Now, many Bible teachers place these bold judgments totally in our future. And uh, they believe that the bold, that right before Christ comes and raptures us out of here, God is going to uh, pour out his bold judgments upon the world. Uh, I'm not sure that the Apostle John uh, saw it that way. I think in, in John's thinking that... In the very near future, in the very near future of John's life, within his lifetime, that God was going to judge the nation or the empire of Rome, and Christ was going to come back. That's what he was expecting in his lifetime. Everybody in the early church was expecting what we call the imminent return of Jesus Christ. They thought the judgment would come, Christ would come back, and God would establish his kingdom on earth. Well, as it happened, God did judge the Roman Empire. It's not around anymore. But guess what happened? Or what didn't happen? Christ didn't come back. And uh, that has caused a dilemma for a lot of us Christians who are living in the 21st century. Because Rome no longer exists, but the Lord hasn't come back, and therefore there's a gap that exists between the judgment on Rome and the Lord's return. Therefore, uh, each generation still looks for the Lord's return, and each generation must take these kinds of warnings seriously that God is going to judge nations all the way up until the time that Christ returns. Uh, he's done that. Uh, we've seen Him judge nations just in uh, the past couple months, haven't we? And uh, He's going to continue to do that. And those who who cast their lot with the world and operate according to worldly principles rather than trusting in King Jesus to meet their needs, will be judged with the world in every generation. And uh, so therefore we should be taking these warnings very seriously. So let's just pick up and see what John says here in chapter 16. We'll pick up at verse 10. He talks about this next judgment and he says, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. That would be at least uh, on, the, uh, it's on Caesar himself and probably on his authority over the entire world. And his kingdom, Caesar's kingdom, the Roman Empire, became full of darkness. Now, what kind of darkness? Can't be physical darkness. Can't. Why don't you think it can be physical darkness? See how, how observant you are. Because two verses before, when God poured out one of the judgments, the sun became brighter. Do you remember that? 
and everybody got sunburned. <laughs> Remember that? So it's not physical darkness. In fact, the sun's become brighter. So the darkness that this judgment produces, whatever it is, is a psychological darkness. It's a spiritual darkness where, as a result of these judgments, the world is thrown into despair and gloom. And if these judgments had come upon you, first the trumpet judgments where partial judgment came, a third of the people, John says, died. Uh, probably not literally a third, but a portion of the people are dying, and now here's a more severe judgment. You would uh, be walking around in a state of gloom as well. Uh, you know what happens when you see a tornado hit a city, or uh, an army invades a city and decimates that city? The survivors, what are they doing? They're to in total darkness, aren't they? Not physical darkness, but they're just sort of walking around lost. And so here we see that uh, a darkness comes upon the Roman Empire, and the people are faint-hearted. Jesus talked about that. He said, "And uh, he said, men's hearts shall fail them for fear, because of the things that are coming upon the earth. Faint-hearted, despair, gloom, psychological and spiritual darkness. And look what happens as a result at the end of verse ten. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Now it's very interesting, at the end of verse 10, they're gnawing at their tongues. But that doesn't stop them from cursing God, does it? Let me tell you, when your tongue gets hurt, you don't want to do any talking. But these people are gnawing at their tongues and here's the reason they're going, ah, ah, you know what? You hit yourself with a hammer, you go, ah. You're not thinking of a conversation. So here these people are biting their lip because of the, the pain that's come upon them because of these judgments. But that doesn't stop them. It says, blaspheme God in verse 11 because of the pain and their sores. It sounds a lot like uh, the Job scenario, doesn't it? Uh, the book of Job opens up, you know the story, and Job ends up with boils and sores. And what does Job's wife tell him to do? Ah, curse God, blaspheme God. He's the one that allowed this to happen. Remember Job's response? He said, you mean we should accept the good from God and be grateful? But when the bad comes, we should curse him? Shouldn't we accept that from his hand as well? And so Job, in a sense, is the one who sets the mindset for the people of God. We should accept the good from God, and he said we should accept the bad from God. But that's not how the lost people think. How do lost people think? When the good comes, do they give God credit? No. But when the bad comes, guess what they do? They blame God. So, you're seeing a typical response of a lost nation, a lost empire. These judgments are coming upon them, and they're gnawing at their teeth and their mouth and their tongues, and yet they blaspheme the God of heaven. So, we see in verse 10, at the beginning of verse 10, anguish. That's the result of pain. Anguish. Gnawing at their tongue. Then we see anger at the end of verse 10 and verse 11. They cast blame. 
And then, finally, we see at the end of verse 11, hardness. They don't change. Look what it says. And they did not repent of their what? Their deeds, huh? Their works. Why are they being judged? Because of the way they operate. And so they do not change. So you have anguish, result of pain. You have anger. They cast blame. You have hardness. They do not change. They remain the same. And so that's the result of this fifth judgment, or this, uh, yeah, the fifth judgment that God pours out. Now look at the sixth judgment. Look at verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the river Euphrates. Now remember, this isn't happening. This John's just seeing this in his vision. Right? That happened. John's sort of in a dream state and he sees these things happening. Suddenly he sees an angel coming with a great big bowl and in his vision, the angel's pouring out this bowl of God's wrath on the Euphrates River. Now, when judgment falls upon Rome, is that how it's going to happen? You think it's literally going to be an angel with a bowl saying, here it comes. This is all visionary language. This is symbolic language. This is apocalyptic language. And in his vision, he sees an angel with a bowl pouring out God's wrath on the Euphrates, verse 12, and its water was dried up, and so that the kings of the east might be prepared, meaning prepared for battle. So now when you see this, you need to realize that this is all symbolic language. My mother used to have dreams all the time. And she looked back in Maryland, she called me, and she said, I had one of those dreams. Well, I knew exactly what she meant. She always believed their dreams meant something. And they were indication of something that was going to happen in the future. And she wanted me to interpret it for her. You know, like Daniel, the interpreter of dream. And she said, I saw a bear last night in my dream. What does that mean? Well, one thing I knew it wasn't. It wasn't a literal bear. Because when she, where she lived, there weren't any bears around. So I knew that her dream, whether it was just of her imagination, or whether it meant something, I knew the bear wasn't literal. So what's John saying when he says he sees in his vision, or in his dream, the river Euphrates drying up, making a way for the forces, or the kings of the east? Well, he says that Rome's going to be invaded. That's basically what he's saying. Now, you have to realize that the that the Euphrates River were trans you know, about a thousand miles. On the eastern border of the empire, it was east of Jerusalem. It served as a natural barrier from the, from the barbarian invasions from the east. The Parthians lived in the east. And uh, they were always attacking the Roman Empire. That's where Rome's threat came. It came from the east. So John, in his vision, sees that all of Rome's defenses are let down at some point. And this is how he describes it. It's not necessarily that the literal Euphrates River is going to dry up. But what he's saying is, Rome's going to be invaded and Rome is going to fall as an empire. It's going to fall from the outside. And uh, so how could that happen? Well, it couldn't happen as long as the Euphrates River, in John's mind, is full. Because the Euphrates River, the cross that you had to cross, it was about a thousand feet wide. 
So anybody who wanted to cross the Euphrates River had to jump into the river. Can you imagine this? And wade across a thousand feet. Well, man, they'd be sitting ducks, wouldn't they? Couldn't invade Rome with the river full. So John in his vision sees a river drying up and an army successfully defeating Rome. Is it going to happen that way? Well, that's not how Rome fell. But Rome did fall. So that's what he's seeing in this vision. So always remember, he, this is visionary language that we are looking at. Now look what it says in verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs. What does that mean, like frogs? Coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Here out of Satan's mouth come. Frog number one. Out of the mouth of the beast, that's Caesar, the emperor of Rome. Ribbit number two. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the religious leader, comes frogs. Now what's he saying here? Is that how it's going to happen? Is it going to be a frog? When a demon comes at you, you actually see it? Does it look like a frog? No, that's not what he's saying. What's he saying? Always hunting for the meaning of the symbol. He is saying that Rome is controlled by what? By Satan. Rome is controlled by demons. It's controlled by invisible forces. And these invisible forces are the power behind Rome. Look what it says in verse 14. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth. Now watch this very carefully. He's talking about the whole inhabited earth, the Roman Empire, the civilized world. To gather those kings to battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, who are these kings? These kings are the client kings. These are the kings that rule on behalf of Caesar. They serve Caesar. Like Herod. Remember King Herod? He was the king of the Jews. He was the king of Palestine. But guess who he served? Herod. So what this passage is saying is that I see an invasion. It's going to be successful. I see Satan, the power behind Rome, going out and gathering all the client kings of Rome that served Caesar, coming together with their armies in order to fight against this invasion troop. This is going to be like a world war. That's what he sees in his vision. But he calls the battle the great day of God Almighty. So in other words, John realizes this is all being orchestrated by God. This is God's doing. Everything that happens in this world is God's doing. So we saw back in the trumpet judgments a very similar thing. He says, I saw four spirits controlling the Euphrates River. Remember that? So this isn't something new to John. This is something that John has talked about in part before. Okay, so uh, now what happens is in verse 15 he gives a warning to the church. He tells them to be on guard. Look what he says in verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Now, when he says I'm coming as a thief, we immediately as Christians, because of all of our theology and years of study, assume that that means he's coming to rapture us out of here. But I'm going to make a suggestion that in this place, he's talking about I'm coming in battle. I'm coming to defeat Rome and the Roman Empire. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. 
we always think that every time you see the word coming, or I'm coming, it means I'm coming to rapture the saints out of here, or I'm coming to set up the kingdom of God on earth. In this case, I believe what he's saying is my presence is going to be seen, and I think that will be obvious as we get through this passage, that my presence will be known that I'm the one that's orchestrating this great battle. I'm going to be right there on the battlefield. And he says this in verse 15. Blessed is he who watches. Now remember he's talking to these seven churches. And keeps his garments. Lest he walk naked. And they see his shame. Now what in the world is he talking about here? Blessed is he who keeps his garments. Remember he's talked about garments throughout this book. When the church members decided to compromise, they compromised by worshiping idols. Remember that? That's what this whole book's about. Don't worship idols. Don't cast your lot with the Roman Empire and serve the gods of Rome. Don't go to these meals and make a libation to Caesar. Don't take your clothes off and be involved in the temple prostitutes. Remain loyal to God. Don't give your loyalty to Caesar. And he's warning that if you give your loyalty to Caesar, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to end up in the same boat that these people are. You're going to be uh, recipients of God's judgment. So that's what he says. He says, I'm coming and this, this is going to happen. Therefore, you better be ready. Look, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments Otherwise, guess what you're going to do? Your shame is going to be exposed. You're going to be walking around naked. Now, uh, if you're not dressed when tragedy comes, you're exposed. I'll give you an example. I had a friend named Gene Culver a number of years ago. He came to Criswell College back in the 80s. He was a hell's angel. He was a rough guy. His nickname was Animal. He was six foot five, tough character, probably in about 50 when we knew him. He'd just gotten out of the gang about five years ago and lived out in California, living with this guy. And an earthquake hit in the middle of the night. And he was nude, slept without any clothes on. And guess what happened when that earthquake hit? He ran out in the middle of the street. And there he was, naked and exposed and shamed. A hell's angel. He got converted real quick. He never went back into that house. He and his girlfriend got in the car and drove to Dallas, Texas. Never went back comes soundly converted, comes to Criswell College, and goes into evangelism. And uh, a few years ago, uh, Gene Culver uh, died. Now, this is an example. He's saying you need to be ready when the judgment falls, because if you're not, you're going to be exposed. Why is it that you think uh, firemen uh, have their boots you know, right next to their beds at night? Because when that thing begins to go ding, 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 guess what they do? Hop right in their boots, and they're dressed just like that. 
Look, when the tornado warnings go, you don't come in our area. You know what I always do? I always make sure I at least have my shoes and pants on. I grab my wallet in case I don't get back into the house and it's destroyed and I don't have anything, a credit card or anything. I'm trying to just think ahead. That's what he's saying. If you cast your lot with Rome, if you're not properly attired, if you've taken off your clothes in a sense, your shame has been exposed to Rome. It's going to be exposed to the whole world and you're going to be part of this judgment to come. So he says you need to be anticipating this judgment. And then, and this is all in his vision. And then in verse 16 he says, and they gathered them together. <clears throat> now we don't know who the they is. They gathered them together. Is that the demons? Probably the demons that were sent out to gather the king. They gathered them together in the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Now, this is probably the most difficult of all the verses in the book of Revelation. It's Armageddon. Because there's different ways of translating that word. Now, Armageddon can refer to that 14 by 20 mile valley called the Valley of Jezreel uh, where many battles have been fought. 200 battles over history have been fought in this battle, in this Valley of Jezreel or Armageddon. Uh, Napoleon called it the most natural battleground in the world. This section. But, many commentators recognize that the word simply means Hills or mountains. All it means. You just look at the meaning of the word. It's hills or mountains. Now Rome was a city that was built on seven hills. And it's possible that John is just saying, and it sees this in the vision, that they're all gathered together uh, to defend the city of Rome. We just don't know. But what he says is there's a battle coming. And this battle is one of the ways, this war is one of the ways that God is judging the Roman Empire. It's not going to win. Rome is going to fall. And then look at verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne of God, saying, It is done. What's done? Rome is done. Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. In fact, in chapter 17 and 18, he's going to tell us in detail how Rome falls. He's going to show us how Rome's economic system and religious system falls. He's going to tell us how its political system falls. It is absolutely <laughs> devastated. The judgment is now complete, is what he is saying, because what you have is the seventh judgment has been poured out. And so, it's over. Rome, the great empire, is overthrown. And there were noises, and thunderings, and lightnings, and a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake that has not occurred since men were on the earth. So what's he talking about here? We've seen those phrases before. Uh, this is what in apocalyptic literature is called a theophany. When God comes down to Mount Sinai to meet Moses, and he manifests himself, God is, is seen in a sense. His presence is felt and seen. Uh, what happens is there are the earthquakes, and there's sounds, and there's lightnings, and there's flashings, 
And all he is saying is that this is all done by God. This is a God thing that's happening. This is a divine judgment upon the Roman Empire. And now look what he says. The great city was divided into three parts. And I believe that's Rome. Maybe because there are three demons there. I don't know. Maybe it's just John's way of saying, guess what? It's fractured. The great city was fractured. And the cities of the nations, of the Gentiles, those nations that Rome had conquered and were supporting Rome, their kings, they fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God. How was it remembered? Well, its sins were remembered. Its deeds were remembered. It was not let off the hook. To give her, look at the end of verse 19, remembered by God, to what purpose, to what end? To give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. That's how he remembers her. He remembers her to judge her. You see how it all makes sense. If you get the meaning behind the visions. And then every island fled. Every island in the Mediterranean Sea fled. And the mountains were not found. What's he talking about? Islands flee and the mountains flee. Well, remember, this is all in a vision. You ever see a mountain flee? How does it do it? How does the seed flee? Does it get feet? What does it mean that the mountains and the seas flee? Well, I can tell you how money flies out of my pocket sometimes. If I say my money just took off, it just fled away, what does it mean? I don't have it anymore. I've lost it. Rome controlled sea and land. So when it says the mountains and the sea fled, what does it mean? Rome lost control of everything that she owned. Because she's been conquered. She's been conquered by God. Wait a second. How was she really conquered? She's conquered by an invasion. I thought that's human. She's humanly conquered, isn't she? No? Yes, she is humanly conquered, but guess who is orchestrating this? God is orchestrating this. Just think of how the Soviet Union fell. Remember Yeltsin standing on that tank? Who orchestrated the fall of communism in this world? Think Yeltsin was the one who did it? You think God was behind this. When that wall between East and West Germany fell, did it fall because Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall? Or is that just another example of a, a nation falling? Oh, it looks like it's human means, but who's behind all of this? What do you think's happening in the Middle East? Do you think this is all natural? See, we can think in terms of natural or we can think in terms of supernatural. 
I remember when Romania fell. One weekend, Ceausescu was in charge, and guess what? One day later, he was out of there. Just like that. How does that happen? How is one day Mubarak in charge of $90 billion, and the next day he's out of there? See, God uses natural means to his end. And God's in this, and if you have eyes to see, you will see that he's there. He's right in the midst of all of it. So, what's John describing in his vision? He's describing the fall of Roman, the Roman Empire. And it's going to fall. But don't take the little bits and pieces here. Literally, these are all parts of a vision. This is apocalyptic language. But it has meaning, and you're trying to find the meaning behind it. And then look what he says in verse 21. In great hail from heaven fell. Now, I, by the way, every island of the sea sort of disappearing, that doesn't quite make sense, you know. Watch this. Great hail from heaven fell upon each man. Each hailstone about the weight of the talent. About 100 pounds. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. Is this literal? Or is this visionary? Ah, it's in this vision. So, you have to say, is it literally hell that's going to knock them dead? Well, I thought they were invaded by an army. Now what's happening? God's throwing hell down? 100 pound <coughs> things of hell? Or is he describing something like an army invading? And you know how they had those catapults? You ever saw the movie of Masada? Rome had those great big catapults, so did the other armies, great big catapults. You put this great 100-pound boulder on there, and guess what? They would pull that thing back, and they'd let it go, and oh, up in the air, and down would come this 100-pound thing. Is that what he's describing, an invasion of an army? See, we're always having to ask the meaning behind these things. Now, I have no problem for people who want to take it literally. All I'm saying is you don't know what apocalyptic language is. You wouldn't take poetry literally, would you? You say, well, no, that's poetry. Well, why would, well, that's poetry. How about a parable? No, that's a parable. Well, guess what? This is apocalyptic literature, and that's not to be taken literally either. You're hunting for the meaning behind it. And if you cannot find that, then you're missing out. You can go to the literal, the literal uh, interpretation. But that's not the natural interpretation. And you can come to the end result. The Rome was destroyed, and that's fine too. But I think this is more symbolic language. I think what he's saying is that God is using nations. Is that how, he, is that how God destroyed the Assyrian Empire? Is that how God destroyed the Babylonian Empire? Is that how God destroyed Alexander the Great's empire? Hasn't every empire fallen by war? I remember reading in preparation for this message that, uh, and this was, of course, a number of years ago, Dr. Criswell was, was flying to a speaking engagement, and he sat down next to an official of the Pentagon. Sat to be sitting next to him. So Dr. Criswell, being inquisitive as he was, uh, asked the guy, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, well, would, uh, will armies as we know them ever be a, 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 out of style? You know, will they be obsolete? Will they give way to nuclear weapons? Will armies give way to nuclear weapons? 
And the official of the Pentagon said, no, sir. He said, we'll always have armies because, first of all, you need an army to occupy after a nation's been defeated. And second of all, you need an army to bring all the people together, to, to bring in, the, 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 the uh, concentrate the target, to push people into a certain area so there can be an airstrike. He said, so armies will always be needed. I think what John's describing here is a conventional war. He's trying to describe it. He's telling his vision, but his readers understand what he's describing. He's describing a conventional war, and this is God's means of judging nations and empires. Now, Rome no longer exists. The Lord hasn't returned. John was hoping he would return in these lifetimes. That hasn't happened. 2,000 years have passed. We're still looking for the Lord's return. And guess what God's still doing? Judging nations. Now, America is probably being judged in some way. And if it's not being judged now, it will be judged if we continue to go in the direction we're going. And we can cast our lot with the ways of the world and operate the way the crooked leaders and politicians, and they're all, not all that way, but you can do it that way. You can say, I'm a Christian but operate Joe no different than anybody else and prostitute yourself for money in economic sense. And guess what? When the judgment of America happens, you'll go down the tubes right with it. But the scripture seems to indicate that for those who put their trust in the Lord and do what God wants them to do, that you will not be judged with the nation. In fact, you probably won't even be around when the nation is judged. You know why? Because you'd probably be killed for standing up for righteousness and calling the politicians and the crooked executives to righteous ways. And guess what will happen? You'll be persecuted for your faith. You may be dead before the judgment ever comes. Or, of course, the Lord could come. We don't know what the situation is. But I think what John's describing here is a judgment upon the Roman Empire through natural means. Now, Next chapter, chapter 17, he sees a woman riding a beast. And this woman is described in verse 5 as the great harlot, the mother of harlots, the abomination of the world. He's describing the Roman Empire and how it's going to be fallen. At the end of the chapter, we'll see that Babylon has fallen. And then he describes the nation in another way in chapter 18. And again, we'll see that Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen. The Roman Empire's faith seal. So we'll pick up there at the next time. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, help us to try to, to look at things uh, the way an early church member would look at things. Help us, Lord, however, to take the principles behind these passages and apply them to our own lives. Help us to be faithful. Help us not to prostitute ourselves. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, knowing that all the things that we need, and even more, will be added to us. That you can bless us far beyond any company can bless us, any government can bless us, any welfare system can bless us. You are the God who created it all. You're, you're, you are the one we call Father. And just as each father in this room would have taken care of his children, we know that you'll take care of us. Oh Lord, help us to be faithful to the end. In Christ's name we pray.